0: Welcome to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim, three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you enjoy today's discussion. Let's dive right in. So last time we got together, we were talking about why we needed grace. What's, why is it so, why do we need grace? What's so important about it? And we talked about the sinful nature we inherited from the Garden of Eden, from Adam and Eve, and... And and we're basically all sinful. So I looked at that and I thought about it for a while and I said, well, why can't I help myself then? I mean, God came along and said, you guys are all sinners, but here's here are the only 10 rules you got to follow to stay out of trouble. So if I can follow those 10 rules, I can be righteous. Right? So why can't I help myself? Yeah, Mark.
1: Well, I'll just start out right now. That makes everybody... Everybody fail at this method. And that is that the first one is to, correct me if I'm wrong, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Is that number one? I thought it was no false idols. Well, no other God before this God, but it's love the Lord your God. Yeah, that's the sum total of the law. That's what the Lord said, yeah. So not one of us does that. You know, does, can, especially people that don't know the Lord and, and are trying to say, well, I'm a good guy. Well, wait a minute. If you're going by those 10, you're definitely not doing that one because you don't, you don't have a relationship with God. And none of us, no matter how close our relationship is and how often, I mean, we can't even do that with our wives, can we? Much less the God of all creation.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I want to go to the scriptures, you know, that addresses both the last time what we discussed that we all are sinners and also, you know, why we cannot be justified by our works. So in Romans chapter 3, from starting from verse 9, right, from the first two chapters, Paul takes time to explain that, you know, both Gentiles and Jews, everyone is under sin. And then he kind of summarizes in verse 9, Talking about Jews, he says, you know, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they all are under sin. Then he goes on to say, you know, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They all have turned aside. They have become, they have become, together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. And the fear of God is... There is no fear of God before their eyes. And now he goes on to say, right in verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, for by the law is knowledge of sin. So Paul is addressing, you know, multiple things at the same time, right? You know, first he's establishing everyone is a sinner. And then he's saying, you know, law is given to show that we are sinners. By the law is knowledge of sin. But, you know, we have misinterpreted the purpose of the law. We are thinking that by the works of the law, we can become righteous, but Paul is saying that, you know, law is not given so that we can become righteous. Law is given so that we can, so that, you know, we all know that we are sinners and law is given to condemn us. So you know, that which condemns us can never justify us, right? Obviously, you know, when you're speeding on a highway, you know, the cop catches you and he gives you a ticket. The ticket is given to condemn us. You cannot go to the court and say, Hey, I did no thing. This ticket is the proof. That's how foolish we are when we use the law to justify ourselves. By the law is knowledge of sin. And the other example is you know, a pig can never act like a lamb, right? A sinner can never be righteous. You know, there's nothing in us that can do righteousness. So when we sinned, we lost the life, right? You know, death. And sin started reigning over us. So a slave of sin cannot commit righteousness. So that is also one of the reasons we can never become righteous by our works.
1: And I would like to add to that, to the people listening to this right now, it's not that we're saying to you, hey... You're not a nice person. You know what? You may be a great person. You may serve down at the food pantry, a loving father, a loving mother. You may be a great person on human, on a human level. The problem isn't, I mean, it is us as well, but the standard is the perfection of God. Yeah. And we can't do it. It's not that we're terrible. We're saying you're a terrible person, and that's why you need to save her. Savior, We're saying that no human being is good enough to reach that perfect standard. That's another way yeah. of looking at it.
0: Well, it seems like the giving of the law was a self-defeating thing. It, it He gave us the law to show us how to be righteous and knowing that there was no way we could ever keep it. So we were set up to fail, it seems like to me.
1: Yeah. That's absolutely right. And why is
2: the question, Ajay? Yeah, you know, we are set up to fail because, you know, uh, if uh, a person who has uh, cancer, right, if they refuse to acknowledge that they have cancer, they will never accept the cure. So law is like a mirror, right? Like the scanning machine that shows a person that, They have cancer. So without the law, you know, people are thinking, you know, they're all right, you know, they are in denial state. But, you know, when the law comes, when the law puts forth the requirements of the law, you know, which is perfection, as uh, Mark said, then we realize that, you know, until we uh, give an attempt to keep the law, we think, you know, we all are good. But again, you know, law is not like, you know, do this, do that, you know, most of the time we fall back on uh, rituals, right? You know, going to church, keeping the Sabbath, right, you know washing your clothes and uh, uh, dunking in a river. That is not the law. The heart of the law is, you know, you love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself, right? How many of us can truly say that we have always, all our life, loved the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, and mind, and we loved our neighbor as ourselves? So when that standard is put up against us, right, you know, we immediately know that we are falling short. And when we are falling short, you know, that's when we realize the need for a savior. And then we go to Jesus, who is our salvation and who can give the righteousness, you know, that we don't have.
1: And I I would add the purpose of life, the very reason we were created, isn't so that we can fulfill the law perfectly. We were created to belong to God, belong to Christ. Not to be these perfect, you know, uh, through the law, you know, that's not the purpose of life is to maintain that law. The purpose of life is not to do good deeds. That's not the purpose of it. Those are things that come out of the purpose. The purpose is to love Jesus and be loved by Him. And then His Spirit works good things out of us and blesses other people.
2: Yeah, that's a great point, uh, Mark. You know, law is not the end, like you said, you know. The Bible clearly says, you know, the in Romans chapter 10 for right you know it says uh, Christ is the end of the law unto righteousness so our end goal is lord jesus christ and communion with him so the point is you know law is simply again given to show us that you know we are sinners and we don't have the nature of god neither we do have the life of god so the reason we need the life of god is to have the fellowship and the communion with god it's like you know we have pets right so we love our pets Uh, uh, to death, right? But at the same time, animals do not have the same life human beings have. So we cannot have the fellowship at the same level as you and I can have fellowship, sharing our thoughts, ideas, and showing our love for each other, right? We cannot communicate with pets at the same level. So similarly, you know, God wants to give us his own life to us so that we can be the family of God. In fact, Bible says, you know, we are called unto fellowship with the Father and that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And law is simply showing that, you know, we don't have the life of Christ because we have lost it by sinning. And now when we come to Jesus, right, we have this new life and we become Jesus, like Jesus, right? And the end goal is not keeping the law, but our end goal is communion and fellowship with Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And of course with one another.
0: So I'm hearing some objections in my head already to this, to this plan. God gave the Israelites, through Moses, the law. Of course, man had to one-up that and add another 600-plus to that. But uh, So all those people who couldn't follow the law, Jesus, you know, God said, here are the laws, and if you can't fulfill them, you're condemned. And to me, if I'm condemned, I have to face a punishment. I'm going to hell. Jesus didn't come along for a long time. What happened to all those people between the giving of the law and Jesus dying on the cross? I can hear people going, that's not fair.
1: Well, one thing, first of all, I'd add is that God is fair. So even if we were not able to come up with that answer right here and now, which I believe we can, We know that they would be treated fairly, but we also know God is merciful. And I think we had this discussion last week. We don't want fairness (laughs) because if we get what's fair, then we're in big trouble. But God is a merciful God. And uh, Ajay, I'm going to let you take it from here because I've heard you talk about it before and you have a good handle on it. Yeah, Tim, so pardon me, but
2: I can you repeat your question? I didn't fully understand. I'm sorry about that.
0: God gave us a set of laws that he knew we could never create, or create, that we could never live up to. And as a result, because we couldn't keep the law as it stands now, we can't be saved because we are condemned by the law. Yeah. So, And then it wasn't until Jesus came. Right. That he fulfilled the law, and that was no longer our judge and jury. That you know. So what happened between the time that the law was given and Jesus came and and fulfilled that law? All of those people in the middle who were trying to fulfill the law and couldn't, trying to love God to by doing the right things, uh, they, they if they commit one sin. They stand condemned. It's, you know, I can't imagine God being that cruel. So what happened to them?
2: Yeah, so I guess if I understood you correctly, right, you know, people who are under the law, from the point the law was given and till the point Jesus came, you know, they they basically, you know, they didn't hear the gospel, right, like we did. So they are under the pure law, Now, how are they saved? I think uh, that's a question, right? So, well, I guess it's an interesting question, right, right? Uh, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, right, it talks about uh, faith. Right? It's called the Hall of Faith. So there are so many people that were under the law, starting from people, sorry, so many people that were uh, mentioned as, uh, as people of faith, starting all the way from Noah, right before the law. And it goes all the way to Abraham. And then it goes to David, who are under the law, right? And many, many people who are under the law before the law and after the law. So again, I think uh, even though the law was given, if you look at uh, the people of Israel, right, you know, when uh, they were brought out of the land of Egypt, so before the law was given, you know, they knew the grace of God, right? They knew the miracles of God and they knew the love of God and they were led by the love of God into the wilderness. But, you know, they did not simply, you know, when uh, Lord gave the law, right, you know, if the Israelites, they simply, even before they heard the law, they said, we will keep it. But instead of doing that, you know, instead of us presuming that the strength to keep the law, if they simply, you know, told, oh God, I cannot do that, but there's no way I can keep the law. I'll be saved only if you save me. Otherwise, I will not be saved. If they took that attitude, right, you know, probably, you know, nobody... have been even under the law because they would have directly gone to grace but they did not do that so i think the point is even under the law there are people who realize that i cannot keep the law and i have to be saved by mercy of god uh, otherwise i cannot be saved and the classic example is the psalm of david right most of the psalms of david are like he never actually said you know i kept the law he says in sin, my mother conceived me. You know, unless you save me, I cannot be saved. So he took that attitude. So many people, even under the law, they realized that, you know, I cannot do it. And they trusted in the Lord. So the faith was operational, even under the law, even though, even though you know, it was not clear like us. And even the Lord Jesus Christ um, was not fully manifested. But I think the Old Testament people are saved looking forward to the Messiah, And we are saved looking backwards to Christ, but either old or new, everyone is saved through Jesus Christ and through faith.
1: And I would also add to that, I have a problem with the very nature of the question, Tim, nothing personal. It's a nice academic exercise, but the person asking that, they're usually asking that because someone is telling them what the gospel is. And they're raising it as an objection. Well, I don't know 100% what happened to those people. I know the character of God, his love, his mercy, his grace, his justice and fairness. But you have heard it. And that, you're responsible for that now. You know what I'm saying? And I don't mean that in a threatening way. But it's just people use that as a smokescreen sometimes. They try to find difficult situations to somehow disprove the Bible or the gospel or, or God's character. How could there be evil in the world if there's a loving God? Yeah. And then I would I would say, hey, how could there be love in the world if there's not? If you want to use that rationale, right? So it's just to me, it's one of those questions that's got a nice academic thing to it, but the point is, the person we're talking to, we're telling them how much God loves them and that Christ died for them and wants them. And if you want to try and find the worst case scenario to just prove it,
0: well... So so I admit to that being sort of a, what I would call a, a catechism class question. I don't know if you guys had to sit through catechism class like I did, but uh, at a certain age, for two years, every Saturday, you know, two Saturdays a month or whatever it was, you'd go to this class where they'd teach you doctrine and and all, you know, the history of the Bible and all this stuff. And, and of course, as 12-year-olds, we, you know, it's like— uh, well, if, if I did this and this happened, would that be, you know, we were always looking for the loopholes and the stuff like that. But I, but it is a question that, believe it or not, does come up, and I've heard it more than once on on several grace boards yeah. um, when when they're talking about it. And it's just one of those stumbling blocks for people. It's like, let's get this out of the way. There is a nature to God, there is love and mercy, and there is faith. And I think we've described a couple of different ages in our own, conversation right now we're in the age of grace you know that's after you know after christ died we are now living under grace and prior to that there was law and faith and prior to that there was eden you know i mean so all these different pieces we've talked about there's still one god he's the same yesterday today and forever and that doesn't change and i don't think he i don't think he gave us the law just to see how many people he could drop into hell for kicks
2: Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, I also just wanted to add, you know, in the Gospels, uh, when, you know, Lord Jesus uh, actually, um, it's a story or actually a real incident. He talks about a Pharisee, right? He goes up to the temple and then there was a sinner, a tax collector goes next to him. And the Pharisee's prayer is like, oh, I'm not like that. You know, I've, I've been fasting. I've been doing this. I've been doing that, you know. Thank God I'm not like that sinner, right? That Both are under the law at that time. And the Pharisee says that, sorry, the sinner says that, you know, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And the Lord Jesus says that, you know, that man is justified. So under the law or grace, you know, the way of justification is the same. You go to God and say, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And you'll be saved under the law or grace because this incident happened under the law. So from that, we can say that, you know, even under the law, people are saved by the mercy of God, simply acknowledging that I'm a sinner and uh, and then uh, uh, asking God to have mercy. And the sacrifices of the temple also point to the salvation of Lord Jesus Christ. So whenever they sin, right, you know, they did not say, they did not claim the law or they did not claim the work. So I kept the law. Therefore, Lord, forgive me, Or they did not say, God, I'll do more work, forgive me. No, they didn't say that. They took a sacrifice. They took an offering to the temple that is pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ. So even in the Old Temple, Old Testament, people are saved by the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ.
0: You brought up an interesting point about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. When Christ came... You would have thought that they would have been his best friends because they've been doing his work for so long. But in all the passages I read, he picks on them the worst. He really gives them what for. And and I'm going to go out on a limb here and propose the reason why, and you guys can tear me up. It's because they pretended— to keep the whole law, because they, nobody can keep the whole law. So what they were doing was really self righteousness and self justification, and they never could see that in themselves. Despite what they knew about themselves on the inside, they never could admit, "Oh yeah, I I, I can't keep all the law either." Yeah, that is
2: so true. Yeah, that's so true, Tim. But
0: Mark, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, I think that's an aspect of it, <clears throat> because they were hypocrites. But then I'll add to that. Anybody who's trying to keep the law is a hypocrite because we can't do it. And so that's, you know, the Apostle Paul said that we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord. And when you're preaching the law, you're preaching yourself. If you're telling other people Here's what you need to do. Here's religion. This is what it means. You need to go to church on Sundays. You need to give your 10%. You need to read so much Bible. They're giving them all these rules and yet they know that they're not doing them perfectly either. I would say that's de- that hypocrisy was one aspect of it that I think upset him. And I think another upset thing that upset him is they're supposed to be the leaders of the rest of the nation. It's their job to help the rest of the people. And he said, you just tie up loads on their back and don't even lift a finger to help them. But to me, I think the biggest problem he had with them was the fact that they were trying to gain acceptance and salvation and righteousness by the works of the law. Just like one of my favorite scriptures says, what then shall we say? that the Gentiles, meaning all people beside the Jews, are the Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling block. To me, that was the biggest problem that he had with them, beside the fact that they were trying to do that and doing it hip, you know, in a very hypocritical way, pretending like they were doing it purposely, coming up with loopholes loop and thinking they're better than everybody else. That's bad enough, but they had the whole system wrong, that it's not by works, it's by faith.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think many of them are hypocrites, but there are some... Uh honest believers in the law as well. Like uh, the best example is Apostle Paul, right? So he said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And uh, when it comes to the law, he was blameless. So obviously he was not lying because he wrote that in the scriptures after he was saved. So there are some people following the law out of ignorance, ignorance also. You know, that's those are the people I think they will be most benefited by the gospel. Because the hypocrites are hypocrites anyway, right? You know, it's very hard for them to uh to um show them their self righteousness but people who are genuinely trying to keep the law they are the ones you know that will be liberated when they realize that god does not require you to keep the law you can be saved freely i used to be one of those guys right you know i tried very hard to follow the law uh to to be saved and to be holy to gain acceptance before god but uh, when i realized that you know christ receives sinners just in our state just as we are that was the best news for me so
1: and were you blameless as far as the law was <laughs> i was uh, in horror because i was not blameless right if i was blameless yeah let me ask you this and and let's let's chew on this a minute cuz paul said as far as the law blameless but i don't think he he meant he had never broke the law I think he meant as a Pharisee, as the ceremonial washings and religion and rituals that he did meticulously beyond people his own age that were trying to do the same thing, because he went out trying to murder Christians. Yeah, That's not keeping the law, thou shalt not yeah. kill.
2: I meant to say, I think he was sincerely trying to follow the law. He was not hypocritically following the law. He was trying his best, the best he could to keep the law and thereby gain God's acceptance.
1: But we also know at the same time he wasn't happy because he talks about how he, that whole great passage where he talks about the very things I want to do, yeah, I don't do. Yeah. The very things that I know I, that I shouldn't do, that yeah. I end up doing. I know in my mind that God's law is perfect and good yeah. and yet right all the time sin and evil are there with me. Yeah. And that's the problem with the law the law itself is perfect. It's holy and perfect. The problem with the law is us. Yeah. It's it's what the word they call flesh, which just means all our own desires and you know, and our own lack of strength and abilities. Yeah. Um that's the only problem. We're not trying to say the law is bad. Of course, the things in it are good. Thou shalt not kill. Who's going to argue that that's not a good law, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. So I see two two benefits to the law, and that is to prove to us that, you know, the title of the show, can't I, can't I help myself? No, I I not as far as God is concerned in my righteousness. I cannot help myself. And the law is there to prove that to me. By giving me ten simple things to, to do that I can't that I can't keep all of them, and the second thing though I think is that it gives us a good list of things that we should try to do as far as living in the world for the world by the world you know we have to live in the world these aren't these aren't bad things not murdering people honoring your parents not lying not coveting those are really good things for us to try to attain for our relationships with people here on earth but it doesn't by following it do anything for our salvation or our own righteousness it was said by even paul i believe the law is good
1: when used properly he said
0: And I say the proper use of the law is in how we behave with the world, not how we relate
1: to God. Does that make sense? I would say that it does act as a high moral standard for the world, but I think, I would say, I'd have to think on this more, but I would say that that's more for people that don't know the Lord, that don't belong to Christ. It's, 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 you know, we use it obviously to create this country and and they are good things that teach us how to treat each other. But I mean, you could just apply the golden rule all over, over all of it, you know, which, you know, Christ summed up by saying, love your neighbor as yourself, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We could have saved all the other laws because that's kind of a summation, but, um, that the word I have problem is with is with trying. These are good things we should try to do, because you know, in maybe a very surfacey way, we can do them. But Christ Himself said, "Hey, you know what? It says don't commit adultery. But if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you've committed adul- adultery." So, I know Ajay points this one out fairly certain because he knew (laughs) that we pretty much all fail at that, you know, as far as the opposite sex goes, and sometimes the same sex, you know, um, we all fail at that one. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that, Ajay? Yeah, Tim, I think,
2: you know, maybe there is a secondary purpose, like you said, right? So, the whole of uh, um, America is built on the Judeo-Christian law, right? The Ten Commandments. So. The government uh, constitution is derived from the Ten Commandments. So there are some principles. In a way, like, you know, the laws are uh, uh, in the society, right? With sinful people, laws are required to keep them under control with the fear of punishment. So I think it might serve as a secondary purpose uh, for the sinful people to live without killing each other every day and destroying each other. But... The primary purpose of the law in the context of the gospel is to show that we are sinners. There might be a secondary purpose, but uh, I do not know if that is the primary purpose. So
1: that's what I would say. I was going to say, there's nothing in Scripture that comes to my mind, I don't know about you guys, that states that that's a purpose of it. No, I didn't have any,
0: any scripture reference in mind when I brought it up that way. I was only only trying to refer back to the fact that uh, it has, you know the Bible says the law is good and the law is holy. And so I, I, I can't imagine that if something is holy, its only purpose is to show a, a form of condemnation for who we and, and what we are although that's what we need to be pointed out to know that we need grace and and Jesus.
1: Here's the problem with that secondary use. The law can tell you what right and wrong are, but it gives you no power whatsoever to do right and not do wrong. So I I would say just by knowing them, it gives this framework to people of what's right and what's wrong but it doesn't give them the power to do what right is. Look at the government. We built our government on that. How well are they fulfilling the Ten Commandments nowadays? So, yeah, Mark, I think I see your point,
2: but I think uh, the other aspect is, right, you know, in a society, right, if let's say there is no punishment for anything we do, right, then people will be killing people each other and destroying and robbing. So that thing is under control surely because of fear of going to jail or, Fear of you know getting executed, so that fear, so this law will not change our hearts, neither will make us good, but I think that fear of punishment will keep many people from committing the worst things they could otherwise. So in that sense, I agree. In that sense, it's uh, useful. I think uh, it's probably helpful. So it's not really the law; it's the
1: fear of punishment. Fear of punishment, yeah. From breaking the law. Yeah, yeah.
2: So uh, I think there are two sides, right? One is with respect to God. Law is always given to show us that we are sinful and we need a heart change, but with regards to one another, it might help treat each other better, mainly because of the fear of punishment, not because of our hearts are changed by it. So,
1: so, so here's a little point to bounce off of what you said, and I'm sure there are some people that that's their motive that they say, "I'm not going to steal." because not stealing is really good. I think a lot of people don't steal because they're afraid of not getting caught. Yeah. You know, if they're, if they're given the opportunity to do something or, or rationalize something, because it depends on what your yeah. definition of stealing is, you know, not reporting something on their tax as Well, you know what? Yeah. It was just a few bucks. I won playing cards or something, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, it's still stealing technically by the law. So, I don't know, just a yeah. side issue there.
2: Yeah, uh, so we are out of time, but uh, Tim, there's one more point, right? You know, most of the, we addressed today more from the perspective of Judo-Christian perspective, but I think from the other religion and other worldview perspective also, right? You know, um you know this fact that you know we cannot become righteous by anything we do or we cannot become good by anything we do or the other part is we cannot atone for our sins by anything we do so most of the world religions are uh, basically trying to do these two things either they try to become righteous to win god's favor so that's one of the reasons you know if you look at the eastern religions right they do this, this something called tapas tapas that means you go into the forest, right into the jungle where nobody is there and you're meditating day and night, day and night until you get to a state where, you know, you become holy, right? So you, they try to attain to a level, you know, where they are actually, you know, overcoming sin. They reach a level through their own effort. They become righteous. And the other side of the coin is, right, you know, what do you do with the, the sins you already committed? So everybody knows intuitively, you know, the sins have to be punished, right? You know, if you committed sin, especially you did something really bad to someone else, you intuitively know that you have to be punished. So for that also, you know, they employ many methods like, you know, beating themselves up, uh, punishing them and uh, going around and walking on barefoot, climbing up the hills or uh, dunking in the rivers, right? to wash away their sins. So they do these kind of things. So I think that is one of the first methods. And in fact, in all non-Christian religions, that's the only method available. You have to do something. Either there are multiple things they say, right? You know, first is you attain to a state, a better state by your own effort, or you try to wash away your sins by doing penance and restitution and sacrifices and Self infliction of punishment. Or the third thing they try to do is, say, okay, your good works should outweigh your bad works. So these are the kind of things that are out there in the world, but none of those things can make us righteous. So we cannot become righteous by anything we do, nor can we atone for our sins by anything we do.
0: Yeah. That's a double whammy. Yeah, that's a double whammy. Yeah. So Christianity is the only world religion in which our sins have already been atoned for and paid yeah. for. Everywhere else, you are still required to put in all of this yeah. effort in one way or another, whether it's yeah. all any of those mentioned ways you've mentioned. Yeah. An- yeah. And and we get to just rest in. You know, we don't have to work. We get to rest in the in the work that God has already done for us.
1: Yeah, and, and just to split hairs, which is one of my gift areas, <laughs> I just as I have a problem with the grace message as a term, as you said, the Christian religion, because all the things that AJ just uh, enumerated for us, as far as trying to wash away your own sins, attain a higher righteousness. The Christian religion tries to do that too, but that's the differentiation between the gospel, the real gospel, the one true gospel is not a religion. A religion, technically, if you look up the definition definition of that word, is a system of rules of do this, don't do that, a systems of beliefs that you have to believe every one of them and 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 there're just I sometimes feel like it's the christian religion that's done more damage to the true gospel than all the other world religions than atheism has ever done to it because they've made people think that what christ did and who he is is something other than it is it's a subtle lie and they try to turn it into a religion
2: I would agree, Mark. You know, other religions out of ignorance, they didn't have the gospel and all they had was a religion. And in Christianity, instead of having the gospel, they took the gospel and turned it into a religion, you know, that is no different than other religions. Put us back to our own works and our own efforts to become righteous or obtain our salvation. So uh, I think one thing I just wanted to say is like, you know, we talked about two things, right? You know, we cannot become righteous by anything we do, nor can we atone for our sins by anything we do. And the gospel of grace, the finish, the cross of Jesus Christ provides both. It redeems us from our sins and also gives us a gift of righteousness. It basically nullifies our sin, sinfulness and then it adds righteousness to us that is not ours. So that is the beauty of the
1: gospel and all with the with the end of loving god and being loved by him you know we're talking very legal terms here atonement and you know and righteousness and things like that behind it all though is this great love that took care of our problems for us so that we can have, you know, really in the end face to face, but even in this life, just a deep, unbelievable joy and knowledge and closeness yeah. to the living God who loves us with a love that when we understand it, just transforms our lives.
2: Yeah. Since uh, you brought about a splitting of hairs, Mark, you know, I'll also give it a, <laughs> I'll also give it a shot. So... <laughs> so you said loving God and being loved by him. So in the order of things, uh, first. All right, yeah. I, I see where you're going. Okay, <laughs> first, cool. uh, the God's love comes first. And I think I personally feel like, you know, we are made for fellowship with God. Fellowship is simply enjoying God, right? Enjoying the life of God in us and enjoying the fellowship with God and enjoying everybody. So even, you know, I have to love you, I have to love you is not also kind of a secondary concern. The primary concern is just, Enjoy God, right? Enjoy the abundant life that Christ gave us, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I didn't mean to put them in a chronological, <laughs> they weren't meant to be a chronological I know I know,
2: I'm just teasing. So, yeah.
1: No, but that's yeah. a good point, though, that that we were created for God to love us. Not so that he could, because he was so needy <laughs> that he needed to create yeah. a bunch of people to yeah. love him. You know, does our love please Him? Does it bless His heart? Absolutely. And that's a miracle in itself. So on that point, right, you know, if we look at, you know, what was uh, before
2: our creation, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in a family, in a community, loving each other. What salvation does is it is inviting us. The By salvation, God invites us into the family of the Trinity, Be part of the Trinity and continue what those three, of course, one God in three persons are doing uh, just to continue, just to expand. In fact, Romans uh, uh, 8.32 says it, uh, Whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to be the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that he may be the firstborn of many brethren. So there is Jesus and he is in communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now he wants many more children like Jesus who can be added to the family of God and just enjoy the same fellowship, communion, and love that the Trinity is already enjoying. So that's what we are created
0: for, yeah. Before we go off on too many bunny trails, Ajay, you were already pointing at the clock earlier, so <laughs> I think we <I> think <laughs> I think I think it's interesting. You guys have taken my role on as the English dissection people instead of me. I was always the word guy, but uh, now uh, now the tables have turned. We've learned from you, Tim. <laughs> so we're going to stop here for tonight, and um, we'll just we'll just pick up from here next time. We would like to thank you for listening to The Unveiling. We hope you have enjoyed it enough to consider subscribing and sharing with others. We welcome your questions, comments, and feedback. You can reach us via email at at Yahoo.com or find our Facebook page at The Unveiling Podcast. For IJ, Mark, and myself, God bless, and we will talk with you next time.